Uh, amen. But Ruth chapter 1, and I'm actually going to start in verse 14. I know we got all the way through verse 17 last week, but I just want to kind of recap where we were at. When we finished last week, the, the Bible says, And they lifted up their voice and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth, uh, Ruth clave unto her. And she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law is gone back unto her people, and unto her gods, return thou after thy sister-in-law. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee, for whither thou goest, I will go. Where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God shall be my God. Where thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death, part thee and me. And uh, I love the, 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 what was drawn out last week, talking about Ruth clave unto her, refused to let her go. And this is where we, we left off last week. What is, the, what is Naomi's going, a decision going to be seeing this devotion from her daughter-in-law? And look with me, if you will, at verse 18. The Bible says, when she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left speaking unto her. And I've kind of split up these last couple of verses into some thoughts that the Lord gave me as I read through there. And I did my best to alliterate these, uh, th this into an outline. And they didn't need to be, but you have to have some fun while you're, uh, while you're trying to work on these lessons, amen. But the, the first point that I see here is the following sister. The following sister, amen. And uh, uh, Webster's Dictionary defines steadfast uh, that we see here in verse 18 as resolutely or dutifully firm and unwavering. Resolutely, a resolution. It has been one month since our resolutions, <laughs> right? Since, uh, since the things that we decided we were going to fix or change about our lives. How are we doing? I'm, I'm doing okay. <laughs> okay would be a, a good word. Some of the things, all right? Traditionally, it's always, I'm going to lose some weight. I'm going to be healthier. I'm, gonna, I'm going to be more organized. I'm going to, you know, what, fill in the blank, whatever it was. If you made any resolutions, how are you doing? But to be steadfast means to be perfectly resolute, unmoving, unwavering. And when she looked into her daughter-in-law's eyes and saw the decision that Ruth was trying to make, Naomi basically said, all right, come along, <laughs> all right? Uh, when she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, she left speaking under her. She said, all right, come with me, let's have a talk, all right? And on they went. And how many of us, we've already lost track of those resolutions that we made, and we, we can't keep something for a month, and she looked into her eyes and she saw a woman who was ready to dedicate her entire life to being with her mother-in-law. And I don't know, though, because the Bible doesn't tell us, if, they, if Ruth and Naomi, if they agreed on everything, if they liked the same sorts of things, if they did the same sorts of things, if they were good at the same sorts of things, we don't know that. But I can tell you what I know from reading verses uh, 16 and 17, and that is Ruth loved Naomi. She loved her with all of her being. And she desired to follow her wherever she went. And would it be, would that some Christians would decide, I love God with all of my being. And I want to follow him wherever he goes. And where thou, I mean, we know the Lord won't die, but where thou diest, I will die. Where thou goest, I will go. Where, would that we could say that, mean it in our hearts, and then be steadfastly minded 
about keeping that decision, amen? I know the opposite of being steadfastly minded because the opposite of being steadfast is to waver and to waver is to go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And the Bible tells us exactly what the man who goes back and forth is called. And that's a double-minded man. James 1 verse 8 says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Romans 8, 6 says, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And it's a battle. It's a battle, isn't it, to, to be steadfastly minded. There's so many things out there in this world that's uh, clamoring and, 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 and yelling and shouting for our attention and for our mind to be on those things, whether it be the political world or some of the, the, the wicked, sinful things that are going on in this world, or, or whether it be just enjoying yourself uh, with whatever you like to spend time with. But all those things are, uh, want your attention, they want your mind and the Lord says, no, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. Amen? It's supposed to be 100% focused on him, and everything else is supposed to be a distraction in the background. Amen? Uh, God, God promises to show us when our mind is being led astray by the things of this world, he will, he will reveal it to us. Amen? Uh, Philippians 3.15, if you'd turn there, if you hold your place there in Ruth 1 and turn to Philippians chapter 3. And verse 15, Bible says, Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if anything be ye otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Here's a promise. And God says, if you've got your, if you're, if you're, Focused on the wrong sorts of things, the things that are leading you astray, the things that are, are leading you away from being focused on me, ask me, I'll let you know. I'll tell you about it, all right? And you'll know whether or not you're, if you'll stop and you'll say, Lord, are you pleased with me? Are you pleased with the attention that I'm giving you? Bible says, in all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy path. I gave this illustration on Friday to our young people in chapel. What does acknowledge him in our day-to-day -day mean? If I were to go on a date with my wife and we were to go to the mall and we were to walk around the mall, I don't know who goes to the mall anymore, but uh, if we were to walk around the mall and go in and out of the stores and do all the things you would normally do on a date, but I never spoke to her. I never asked her opinion on anything. I never even looked over at her. We just walked side by side. Have I acknowledged her? So many of us, we say that we're Christians, we claim to be Christians, and we, we believe with all our hearts that we're walking with the Lord, but how often do you stop and acknowledge him and ask for his help, ask for his opinion, ask for his, uh, 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 what, he, what he wants? All right, with our lives. That's to acknowledge him. And so uh, Philippians 3.15 teaches us that if we'll stop and we'll say, Lord, am I focused on you? Am I, am I singly minded on you? He will show you the things that are dividing your mind or making you a double-minded man, amen? And the solution, the solution for eliminating this worldly-minded flesh, it's simple, the solution is simple, and yet it's somehow the most difficult thing that we can do, all right, as Christians, and that is to deny ourselves, deny our flesh, and draw nigh to God. James 4, 8 uh, says, draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. The solution for eliminating that double-minded behavior is to draw nigh to the Lord, and he will give you that desire 
Amen. He'll give you that desire that the book of Psalms talks about. Uh, uh, he, he will become the desire of your heart. And uh, you can be like Ruth in the story and say, Lord, I love, I love you so much that wherever you tell me to go, I will go. Amen. So that's the following sister. Look at verse number 19. The Bible says, so they too went until they came to Bethlehem. And it came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them. And they said, is this Naomi? Is this Naomi? She kind of looks like Naomi a little bit. Now we know that years have gone by. Yes, of course. But this entire town of people, all of Bethlehem, aren't quite sure. She has been so battered and torn apart and marred by the sin that was in her life, by the cost of that sin, that people who knew her well were questioning whether or not she was even the one that they, they thought she was. Is this Naomi? And so uh, the second point that I have is the familiar stranger. The familiar stranger. Uh, uh, that kind of looks like Naomi. Is that Naomi? I'm not quite sure. Ten years is not enough time to be questioning a person, right? And so uh, 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 sin will change us inside and out. Even when we don't recognize that change ourselves, it's slow, it's very slow. It's like a drip filling a bucket. It's a slow change. It's a, it's a seemingly unnoticed change. When we allow sin to enter into our lives and we don't do anything about it, it slowly changes us to the point that we may not even recognize what is happening. We may not understand what is going on, amen? And uh, there was an 1872 study, I think they need to update this, but an 1872 study over uh, 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 boiling frogs in water. I don't know if anybody's ever heard this illustration before, probably, I imagine so, but, but it's what I always think of uh, when I think of this slow change that sin brings. If you are to bring water to a boil and throw a frog in, what will happen is and I've always heard they'll hop out, but turns out they just die, all right, uh, nearly, <laughs> nearly instantly from those burns, all right, and uh, they might be able to hop out, but they will die very shortly after that. But they'll immediately recognize, this is hot, I need to leave, all right? But if you put them in cool water and you slowly turn up the temperature one degree at a time over the course of several minutes, that frog will stay in there, will stay in that water until it has literally boiled alive because its nerve endings are unable to tell the difference between from one temperature to, the, uh, to another when slowly turned up like that. You would think there'd be a certain point where that frog would say, it's, I need to leave, it's getting a little hot here. And before you laugh and say, that frog's kind of dumb, that frog's kind of silly, what are, what are we doing as Christians that we would allow sin to enter into our lives and, and, and slowly change us and give us a rebellious spirit and lead us astray from the Lord, and, it, and it's slow. It's slow. It's incremental, <laughs> all right? It's slow, and we don't notice it. And before you know it, we're in boiling hot water looking around going, how did I let myself get to this point in my life, amen? Um, the other illustration that I think of here, I don't really like to think of it, is all of the men that I had the privilege of attending Bible college with, or, or more specifically graduating with, who I believed had the same commitment, 
had the same desire to serve the Lord, had the same passion to preach and to teach, and how few of them are still doing that. And how, and that's not to toot my own horn, it's because it's, this is what it should, what should happen. There's no, you know, there's no, I'm not trying to lift myself up in that. I'm saying this is how it ought to have been. And, and to see, and, and I, ha, I have several very good friends that I attended Bible college with. And a few, uh, well, a little over a year ago now, um, one of my good college friends passed away. And a tremendous man, loved the Lord. And I uh, got to go to his, his funeral service, or it was a, a ceremony, but, but uh, anyhow, a remembrance kind of thing. And I got to see a whole bunch of my friends that I had not seen since college. And, and, and that would have been going on nine years then since I had seen them. And when I tell you that there were almost, almost none that I still knew, so many of them that I could say, like these people in Bethlehem, is that, is that so-and-so? I recognize the way that they look, but they sure weren't acting like the person that I knew. They sure weren't dressed the way the, like the person that I knew. They sure did not, you know, uh, their appearance had totally changed, whether it be, you know, the, the, the way they had done their hair or the way that they had, you know, what, whatever, the case, whatever the case may be. And it was slowly just breaking my heart to the point that I just kind of had to step away for a moment and reset myself and say, Lord, you got to help me right now because I am getting very discouraged moment after moment being here right now. And seeing that change, now they didn't do that overnight. The day afterwards, they didn't, it was slow. It was incremental. It was dropping out of their ministries. It was missing a church service every once in a while. It was listening to a family member who didn't believe the same as them. It was getting a new best friend that wasn't a Christian. It was all of those things, whatever the case may be, and it was slow and it was incremental and they, and they probably didn't even notice. But I would hope this was my hope. When I walked out of there, my hope was, I hope that every person who knew me when I finished Bible college and what I set out to do when I walked in said, there's Adam Ron. The same Adam Ron who graduated. And, and not totally the same. I know we learn and we grow and, 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 and we do make changes, but the same determination, the same single-mindedness to serve the Lord that he left with, that would be my hope. And, uh, and for us, for us, examine your life. Yes. Examine it closely. Are you in boiling hot water? Have you, have you allowed something to creep up and grow and entangle itself into your life so much so that you didn't even, and you didn't even notice it was there, but it was there. There's, there's uh, uh, Naomi coming back after years of being away from where she should have been and the people barely recognize her. So we see the familiar stranger, amen? Look at, look at verse number 20, if you would, please. Ruth 1, verse 20. Bible says, and she said unto them, call me not Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call, uh, call ye me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me? I notice a few things. Oftentimes we talk about Naomi calling herself Mara. Mara meaning bitter. 
in the Hebrew language and all of those things. But the thing that jumps out to me the most in verses 20 and 21 is her refusal to acknowledge what she had done or what she had been, had a part in doing. Her refusal to acknowledge, I did this to us. I had every opportunity when my husband died to acknowledge where we were and what, what we needed to do and to leave. I had every opportunity to, when the famine was over, come home. I had every opportunity to do those things and I did not and I am paying for that now. But instead, what does she say? She says, God hath dealt bitterly with me. Uh, I went out full and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. No. No, Naomi, you did that. All right, you brought yourself home again, uh, again empty. And I know that her husband, Elimelech, is, is, is to blame as well and he does not have to suffer these consequences because of his death. Well, that's the consequence that he suffered. But, but listen, uh, um, we need to be careful about that. We need to be careful about that, that we, that we acknowledge that that's most, most, if not all, the trouble that we're in was our own doing. It was our own fault and our own doing. And, and my dad used to like to say, uh, sometimes, sometimes growing up, I had three little sisters, and just sometimes I would get in trouble for things that I genuinely did not do. All right? A false report was given, and an undeserved punishment was administered. And later the truth would come out. It happened a handful of times, but I always remember my dad saying, listen, you and I both know that there are so many more things you've not been punished for that you should have been. So we'll just count that as one of those and we'll, we'll move on, all right? But, but listen, so you say, I, I didn't do anything to bring this trouble about my life. You know you have. You know you have, and whether it was, you know, you know that at the end of the day, we are wicked and sinful and deserving of nothing but death and hell. And anything above and beyond that is a mercy of God, and we need to have that mindset when it comes to those things. Naomi did not return with that mindset. She returned with a, a victim's mindset, even though she was a part of what led her to that, uh, to that place in her life. And so I see the fault shifted. The fault shifted. Amen? Uh, a refusal to take the blame. It's like the man who said, I tend to blame other people for my problems rather than taking responsibility. I think it was just the way I was raised. Amen? <laughs> or, or the man who said, my dad didn't love me as a child, but I don't really blame him. I wasn't born until he was an adult. So, anyways. But <laughs> or, or like the man who said, who has two thumbs and never takes the blame for anything, that guy. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Uh, but but we, we, a lot of times we like to find fault either in other people or in our God. And whether or not we, whether or not we acknowledge that, we'll say it in our hearts. Like, God's done this to me. God, why did you allow this? We'll say it that way. When what we really mean is, God, why did you do this to me? We'll say, allow it. So it makes us feel better about it. So we're not really blaming God, but you are. You are blaming the Lord. You are blaming God for that trouble that's come along. And like I said, whether or not you directly caused it, we deserve it. We most certainly deserve it. And, and so um, uh, the solution for finding fault in other people, uh, Jesus gave us this solution in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 3. Go ahead, go ahead and turn there if you would. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 3. I know all, I know all these verses are familiar. I'm I'm sure of it. 
but I still need them. Amen. Matthew chapter seven and verse number three through verse five, the Bible says, and why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the moat, uh, sorry, pull out the moat out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye. Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the moat out of thy brother's eye. Um, one thing I, uh, I'll, I'll, uh, that, that, that's kind of funny is it's like saying, it's like when uh, you know, a, a preacher says, how many of you have, have, have uh, never told a lie before? You know? And anybody raised their hand go, well, you just lied right there, right? Amen? If you're looking for faults in other people, that is a fault. Congratulations, you put a beam right into your own eye looking for faults in other people, amen? Uh, 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 I, I shouldn't be so worried about anything uh, about the problems that are going on in anybody else's life when I have my own problems to deal with. I look for blame and fault in everybody else to justify my fault. What do we do when we have a problem going on in our lives? We look for someone who did something worse. We look for something, uh, somebody who did the same sort of thing as us but more. And we say, well, at least I'm not like them. And the Bible tells us, stop it. <laughs> uh, uh, look at your own situation. Fix the problem that you have. Take responsibility for what you have done and fix your problem. And then maybe the Lord could use you to help somebody else. Amen. Then maybe the Lord can use you in that way. Amen. Um, but more importantly, what Naomi did here, finding fault with God. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 48 says this, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Can a perfect person harm, do wrong, or hinder someone in any way? No. It is our own doing. Whatever it is that we suffer in this life, whatever it is that we face, whether it's a trial that is a direct result of our sin or not, it is deserved. And it is not the Lord's doing. The Bible says every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. He is behind what is good in our life. He is not behind those things that we face. And we have to stop blaming God or we're never going to be able to bring ourselves out of, the, out of that problem. Because he's the, some, he is the only one who can lead us. Out of, out of the problems that we create. And if we're constantly blaming him in our lives, we're just going to be stuck there in a rut in our lives, unable to move forward with that spirit of bitterness that we're holding on to. And what's strange is that as devout Christians, a Christian who sat in church for many years, you may be blaming God for something this morning and not even acknowledging that in your heart by saying God's allowed this to take place. We need to be careful about that, amen? Uh, James chapter 1, verse 13 James chapter 1, verse 13, the Bible says, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. To believe that God purposefully harms or hinders us in any way is to believe that the Bible is a lie, is to believe that the word of God is not true. Amen. And I choose to believe that the word of God is true. I choose to believe that God loves us, that God has given us every opportunity to make our lives as easy as possible and he does not go out of his way to harm us. And, and, and uh, that all of the trouble that we create is created for ourselves. We've done this ourselves. Naomi did this and she needed to acknowledge that. But instead, the first chance she got to explain herself, she blamed God. 
And the first chance that she had to truly say, Lord, I'm sorry for what's happened. Lord, I want to turn things around. Lord, I want to change my life. I want to be renewed here. The first chance that she got to acknowledge that, she denied it. She, she said, no, this isn't my fault. I've come back empty. I'm hurt. And notice she said, call me Mara because God hath done bitterly with me. No, God hadn't dealt better, uh, bitterly with her. She was the bitter one. She was the one who was bitter in this moment. Uh, and so we see the fault shifted. I have one more thought that I got here from verse number 21. From verse 21 of Ruth 1, the Bible says, So Naomi returned, and Ruth, the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her, which returned out of the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of barley harvest. And the thing that jumped out to me the most about verse 21 is when they returned. Now, we know the story. We know the story well. That in, in, in the next chapter, we're going to see uh, uh, Ruth having the opportunity to meet and to fall in love with a man named Boaz. And notice here that when they arrived in Bethlehem, it was the beginning of barley harvest. It was the perfect time for the, it was the, it was the perfect time in God's plan, even in the midst of this tragedy, even in the midst of what Naomi and her husband had done by running, even in the midst of all that, what's about to happen is a beautiful love story it's going to be a picture for us of our, our very own Redeemer. And without them arriving at this particular time, they may have sought a different means of surviving their situation. And this is God unfolding his plan here and, and showing us that even in the midst of the dumb things that we do, even in the midst of the trials that we go through, God is able to show himself mighty. God is able to show, uh, uh, to show up and to, uh, to write rewrite the ending of the story, so to speak. Write the ending of the story and, and, uh, and have a happily ever after, if, if you will. And so I see the foreordained solution. It, that was a hard one, all right? I really had to work on that one. But the foreordained solution, amen? God's plan is very rarely our own and it's very rarely in our timing, how we want things to go or when we want things to happen. But it is always perfect. God's plan is always perfect in our lives. Amen. Uh, go ahead and turn, if you would, to Genesis chapter 24. Genesis chapter 24. I'm going to finish things up by reading a different account, a different Old Testament account here in Genesis 24. And I'm going to read here for quite a while. I'm going to read verses 10 all the way down through verse 27. And what we're about to see here is the servant of Abraham here in Genesis 24, being sent out by Abraham under the command of the Lord that he send out his servant to look for a wife for his son, for Isaac. And he, and he gives some instruction to his servant. And now we see the servant leaving in verse number 10. And the servant took 10 camels of the camels of his master and departed for all the goods of his master were in his hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia unto the city of Nahor. And he made his camels to kneel down without the city by a well of water at the time of the evening, even the time that women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, I pray thee, send, uh, send me good speed this day and show kindness unto my master Abraham. Behold, I stand here by the well of water and the daughters of the men of the city come out to draw water. 
And let it come to pass that the damsel to whom I shall say, let down thy pitcher, I pray thee, that I may drink. And she shall say, drink, and I will give, uh, and I will give thy camels drink also. Let the same be she that thou hast appointed for thy servant Isaac, and thereby shall I know that thou hast showed kindness unto my master. And it came to pass before he had done speaking that behold, Rebekah uh, came out who, uh, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, with her pitcher upon her shoulder. And the damsel was very fair to look upon, a virgin, neither had any man known her, and she went down to the well and filled her pitcher and came up. And the servant ran to meet her and said, Let me, I pray thee, drink a little water of thy pitcher. And she said, Drink, my lord. And she hasted and let down her pitcher upon her hand and gave him drink. And when she had uh, done giving him drink, she said, I will draw water for thy camels also until they have done uh, drinking. And she hasted and emptied her pitcher into the trough and ran again uh, unto the well to draw water and drew for all his camels. And the man wondering at her held his peace to wit whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. And it came to pass as the camels had done drinking that the man took a gold, uh, golden earring of half a shekel weight and two bracelets for her hands of ten shekels weight of gold and said, whose daughter art thou? Tell me, I pray thee, is there room in thy father's house for us to lodge him? And she said unto him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, which she bare unto Nahor. She said moreover unto him, we have both straw and provender enough and room to lodge him. And the man bowed down his head and worshiped the Lord. And he said, blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who hath not left destitute my master of his mercy and his truth. I, being in the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. And I know that was a, a lengthy passage to read there, but I just want to draw out the miracle of this story. And yet the simplicity of it too. Because it was a great miracle that the Lord performed, but at the same time, the servant of Abraham and Rebekah are both found here doing what they know they're supposed to do in that moment. The servant of Abraham is thirsty. His camels are thirsty. What do I need to do? I need to get a drink. And he allows the Lord to use that to perform this miracle and finding Rebecca. What is Rebecca doing? What she was told to do, to go and to draw water. And then when she arrived there, what did she do? She, out of the kindness of her heart, did what she saw she needed to do, and she served this man and his camels. And God used this simple, just simple obedience on their part, simply doing what they were supposed to be doing, and God performs this miracle. We keep looking for miracles. We keep looking for God to open up the barley harvest, so to speak. Just do what you're supposed to do today. Just do what you're supposed to do. Let God take care of the big picture. Let him take care of the journey. Just do what you're supposed to do today. He said, what does the servant of Abraham say there in verse 27? I being in the way, the Lord led me. I was just doing what I was supposed to do. I just kept obeying. I just kept following and God unraveled this awesome thing in front of me and it was the perfect timing and God's perfect plan. We keep looking for God's perfect timing and God's perfect plan and we keep either trying to see how God's gonna orchestrate it or, or worse yet, trying to orchestrate it ourselves and God, and God just says, just obey. I love that the song that we just uh, sang today. It was a great song to pick, Trust and Obey. 
all right? Uh, There's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. Stay in the way. Stay in God's way. I know we normally it's not good to stay in somebody's way. Like when you're trying to pass someone in the hallway and you go left and right, left and right, all right? Uh, I hate that feeling. And finally, eventually, you just want to press yourself against the wall and go, 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 go on, all right? Uh, Like that. But, But that's how God wants us to be. Just stay right in line with him and and, uh, and he will, and you'll see miracle after miracle in your life, and you'll have to stand back and wonder, how did it happen? How it happened was you just kept obeying what he told you to do, and you stayed in his way. Amen. Uh, I'm finished. Let's pray, and, and then we'll be done this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I love you.